right, we're in chapter 11. We're in verse 10. Verses 10 and 11 tie together. Let me read both of them. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth. And when the wicked perish, there is shouting. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted. But it is, the, it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. Now in our study last week, we began to talk about this uh, uh, parallelism here, particularly the first part. When it goeth well, when it, when it is good, uh, when uh, the righteous prosper, then the city um, rejoices, jumps for joy in actual fact. Now we were looking when we completed at some of uh, the examples from Scripture that uh, rather illustrate this idea of uh, the, the righteous rejoicing uh, when, the, when the godly are in charge. In Second Chronicles chapter 29, you have the story of the revival under Hezekiah, a revival that was carefully planned for, carefully prepared for. Uh, the sanctuary was cleansed, the sacrifices were restored, and God came down in their midst, and there was a great move of His Holy Spirit among the people. And uh, if you go to um, verse 35 of that chapter, it says, And also the burnt offerings were in abundance. Burnt offering was the dedicatory offering with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. The whole uh, listing of the sacrifices were prepared. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. Now here was a king, if you please, a political leader that has come out of the midst of corruption out of the midst of, uh, of a series of kings that have not walked with God. And uh, here he was, he was brought to the fore, the, the uh, high places of the uh, wicked sacrifice to Moloch had been torn down. Uh, there was a, an entirely new era brought in. And what happened? In verse 36, And Hezekiah rejoiced, and all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. And then look at chapter 30 and verse 26. Now they have restored the Passover feast. Remember that when the people of Israel were delivered from the nation of Egypt, God changed their calendar. They now were supposed to uh, celebrate as the first part of their year this deliverance from the nation of Egypt, uh, of Egypt. And the people um, had fallen into sin and they had ceased keeping the Passover long before. Now there was a, there was a great uh, feast and uh, uh, in uh, verses 13 through uh, uh, about uh, 22 uh, there were a number of things that took place. The people uh, began to uh, get their values squared away, their priorities. 
Uh, they, they were killing the Passover. They came before the Lord, suddenly realized the symbolism of the leaven being removed from their houses. And the people began to not only remove the leaven from their houses, but from their hearts as well. So it says in verse 18, the multitude of the people, even many of Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it was written. In other parts of Israel, there was a, um, a counter-revolution. Uh, there was the copying of the spiritual symbolism without the preparation. But it says that Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one who prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And there was a concern for, uh, for these people that were, in a sense, outside the fold. And uh, even though they had not prepared properly, Hezekiah was praying for mercy upon them. And then in verse 22, Hezekiah spoke encouraging words unto all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord. And they did eat throughout the feast seven days, offering peace offerings and making confession to the Lord God their fathers. The word of God was... Uh, reintroduced into their society and there was intercession and there was confession and uh, then it goes on and talks about uh, the sacrifices that were brought forth in verses 23 and following and in verse 26 it says so there was great joy in Jerusalem for since the time of Solomon the son of David king of Israel there was not the like in Jerusalem when the priests and Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came up to this holy dwelling place even unto heaven. There was great joy among the people. Now, the, the key to this thing is that even though when a righteous ruler arises on the scene or when, a, when righteous people begin to uh, to, to seize power in one way or another. There, there is rejoicing not only on the part of those who are also righteous, but there is almost an immediate uh, uh, a snowballing effect among even the people who before have followed, uh, followed the crowd as they have gone after false gods and gone their own way. They begin suddenly to get on the bandwagon and uh, begin to realize how, that this uh, individual that has brought spiritual life back to the people indeed has also brought prosperity back to the people. They may rejoice simply because of the prosperity, but they nevertheless rejoice. And uh, it's not that they have come far enough. There's far more that needs to be done. But uh, those that uh, have been bitterly disappointed by the natural consequences of idol worship. Now we're standing together with those that were truly worshiping God and they were rejoicing because some sanity had come back to the political scene. I think it's, it's so important to realize that uh, uh, as righteous people are blessed of God, then God uh, brings rejoicing to the city. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2 for a moment. Nehemiah chapter 2. 
In Nehemiah chapter 2, there is the, uh, the sequence, if you please, of um, uh, Nehemiah praying that he might have the privilege of bringing restoration uh, to the people of Israel. And um, the king, of course, allowed that uh, that be possible. And so he comes to the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah does, with all of the materials that are needed to rebuild the temple. And uh, they um, are able to come and, uh, and encourage the people. And it says in verse 17, Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waits, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that there be no more reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God that was upon me, and also the king's words that were spoken unto me. And they said, uh, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, when you uh, read that, and you realize that the people were being led by Nehemiah to the rebuilding of the walls, then go with me, if you will, to chapter 6, chapter 6, and verse 15. So the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month Elul in fifty-two days. They accomplished the rebuilding of these walls in a period of fifty-two days. Now, God had raised up a tremendous leader in Nehemiah. Uh, previous to this time, the people were were uh, for a period of time almost leaderless. Uh, the result was that uh, uh, the uh, uh, Sanballat and uh, Tobiah, uh, who were the enemies of the work of God, had uh, uh, discouraged the people. Uh, they were trodden down and defeated uh, by by an unrighteous leadership, if you please. They were not rejoicing at all. But God raised up Nehemiah. And again, when the good prosper, when those that are righteous prosper, then uh, the city rejoices. Now, in chapter 8 and verse 17, we read how Nehemiah restored to the people under the leadership of Ezra the, uh, the whole uh, a matter of the reading of the law and the keeping of the law and the, the restoration of the feasts. In particular, it was the period of time in the year when the Feast of the Tabernacles would be restored. Feast of the Tabernacles was a time where the people commemorated the wandering of the children of Israel in the wilderness and how God had provided for them. Uh, they would uh, get into, they would build in the streets of Jerusalem or anywhere else uh, around the city booths, uh, just little huts built of branches. And uh, they would be just temporary uh, dwelling places, but they'd actually move out of their house and they would dwell in these booths uh, and then they would begin to recount the faithfulness of God. Uh, psalm 78 is an example. It was a psalm that was, was used as a, a tool of worship, a tool to remember the faithfulness of the Lord. 
And they would remember this incident and that incident. They would remember coming through the Red Sea. And they would remember how God changed the bitter water into sweet at Marah. And the uh, beautiful oasis at Elam. And they would remember how God provided manna. And they would remember how God provided water from the rock at Rephidim and victory over Amalek and how he gave the law on Mount Sinai and how they built the tabernacle and how God's presence came down in their midst. All of this was a part of the review that took place at the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now they hadn't done this for 70 years of captivity. But Nehemiah brought them back to the sense of the Word of God uh, with Ezra the priest standing up and, uh, and, and reading it, and the people, the people, the first reaction was tears of joy. It says in verse 9 of, of chapter 8 that Nehemiah, who is, uh, is the uh, Tirshatha, the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, and unto all the people said, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. And then it goes on, verse 10, Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, your fortification. Now you jump down to verse 17. The Feast of the Tabernacles is being observed, and it says in verse 17, And all the congregation of them who were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua the son of Nun unto that day uh, had not the children of Israel done so. They had neglected to do this during the time of their, uh, their apostasy. And there was great gladness. The people rejoicing as God brought forth a leader that was truly righteous and did things according to God's word. Now, just one more illustration. Look at the book of Esther and chapter 8. Esther, chapter 8. Now, you know the story of Esther and how the uh, wicked man Naaman, uh, Haman, I should say, uh, determined that he was going to destroy the people of God. Just another plot of Satan to get rid of the chosen people Israel. And he came close. Uh, he came close, perhaps as close as any other man in history, to actually annihilating uh, the, the, the people of Israel. But uh, he failed because God undertook. And Esther was willing to go forth and risk her own life in order to uh, deliver the people. And the king stepped forth and actually brought condemnation upon Haman. Now, in Esther chapter 8 and verse 15, it says, And Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white. Here's this man who was, who was literally a, a, a beggar, an outcast, one who, who had uh, done the right thing in the past but had not been recognized for it. And uh, here he is, brought forth in the presence of the king in, uh, in royal apparel of blue and white, a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city, notice the city, 
the personification of that city. It's not necessarily that every individual within that city, but the great consensus of people within that city rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor because the righteous was, was prospering. The people or the city rejoiced. Now again, by way of application, we need to keep in mind that there are righteous men that come and go and wicked men that come and go. And uh, there may be a seeming uh, glee uh, when the wicked prosper. But ultimately, the city is uh, uh, turned to mourning whenever the unrighteous man prospers. Look at Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 2. Now this says the same thing, perhaps in a little different way. As uh, chapter 11 and verse 10. It says in verse 2, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. You go through the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures and you discover that whenever a righteous person was raised to power, it was an evidence of the faithfulness and mercy of God. Whenever an unrighteous person was raised to power, it was an evidence of God's blessing removed. Uh, the interesting thing is that the people, because of their fickle hearts, would often uh, insist upon a wicked ruler. And yet, the fact that God let them have it was simply the eating of the fruit of their own ways. And when they got it, they groaned. And they moaned. They didn't want what they got. Someone uh, said a long time ago that you must not only want what you want, but you must want what it brings. You see, everybody would love to sow their wild oats and then have crop failure. But it just doesn't work that way. And uh, whenever a nation primes itself for the judgment of God, the evidence is they clamor after someone who is not righteous. And when they clamor after that person, then they moan and they groan. And when they moan and they groan, God in His mercy so often hears the cry and raises up a righteous ruler. And of course, when the righteous ruler comes, there, is a, uh, there are withdrawal pains. And everybody's groaning and moaning about Him. And then when, after a period of time, when God begins to bless and God begins to prosper, they rejoice that God has brought the righteous man. There's a period of peace and a period of, of quiet and a period where people are content and they're rejoicing. And it isn't long and they go through that cycle all over again. They begin to clamor in their prosperity after a wicked ruler again. And God brings them as a sign of judgment upon them and on and on it goes. That's history. Just look at it. Over and over again, you see that same sequence. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. Look at Proverbs 16 and verse 7. Proverbs 16, verse 7. 
When a man's ways please the Lord. When he is righteous, in other words, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. By the way, that, that little verse is a tremendous verse to have in your kit bag. If you're talking with people, I would assume that you wouldn't need this, but you need it to share with others, right? Uh, you talk with people who uh, always want, um, they want God to uh, restore marriage. Uh, they want God to um, uh, give them favor with their boss. Uh, they, they want God to do all of these things that in a sense would prosper them. And they, 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 they are looking to the end itself rather than the means to the end. God has given us in His Word the fact that when you please the Lord, He eventually will bring your enemies even to peace with you. And everybody uh, uh, sort of looks at the end. I know that uh, dealing with a lot of uh, broken marriage situations, uh, we, we often will will talk with people. Um, what do they want? They want their husband back. Or they want their wife back. Uh, and uh, they'll come to you and how can I get them back? And uh, you could say to them, well, you try this trick and that trick and the other trick, you know. And there are all kinds of things you might do. But uh, uh, I had a woman come not long ago and she said, I want my husband back at all costs. I said, I can't help you. If you are willing have to do anything to have your husband back, then I really can't help you. Because you can't get your husband back that way. If you want peace with your husband, the best way I know how is not any method possible. It is please the Lord. Your goal should never be to get your husband back. Your goal should be to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because when you seek God first, then you have God on your side. And God can, can solve the problem in the way that most delights him. But if you set as your goal, in a sense, the carnal goal that you have in mind now, then you may do all kinds of things that are not pleasing to God in order to accomplish that goal. That's true in virtually every situation. Look with me, if you will, um, at Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. Now, Mark, chapter 6, in verse 20. For Herod feared John. Now here's the king, a puppet king, but nevertheless a king. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous man and holy, and protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Now here's a wicked king, a king who eventually would be coerced into actually destroying the man that in this text he is protecting. But the protection, here's a man uh, who's dressed in uh, rough clothes and dwelling in the wilderness, popping out before the people by the river Jordan and declaring a message of righteousness. And here you have a wicked, wicked king. 
who's actually protecting him. Make sure nobody hurts him. All right? God used Herod to protect John the Baptist because uh, he was a righteous man proclaiming a righteous message for a period of time. And that protection was lifted when it was God's time for John to go home to be with himself. So even the king, even the wicked king, was rejoicing because of this, this wicked man, uh, because of this righteous man, uh, John the Baptist. Now it was said of the priest Jehoiada uh, in Second Chronicles uh, 24:16 that they buried him in the city of David among the kings. He was a priest, but he was buried among the kings because he had done good in Israel both toward God and toward his house. The result was that he was honored by being buried among the kings. Now, let's go back to chapter, 10, uh, chapter 11, verse 10, and set down the contrast. When it goeth well, that is prosperity, with the righteous, leadership, a place of rulership, with the righteous, the city rejoices. And, in contrast to that, when the wicked perish, there is shouting. When the wicked perish, there is shouting. Now, the word wicked is again a form of the word ra, rasha, intensified. It means wrong. The intensive stem uh, makes it mean the idea of morally wrong or evil. Uh, the root, as you know, again just simply means wrong. Ra means wrong and can be any degree of wrong. But Rasha primarily uh, intensifies that. Here's an intensely wrong person, a morally wrong person, all right? Uh, they're, they're doing the things that are against the law of God. Wrong stands in contrast to right. Wicked stands in contrast to righteous. And here this person stands in stark contrast to the righteous person in the first part of the verse. So when the wicked perish, now we're not talking here, about um, prosperity, like we did with the righteous. Rather, we're talking negatively about perishing. Here's the word abad. Literally means to wander away. It means to get lost. It means to lose oneself. It's a common one of the common words that was used for death. And Joshua warned Israel that if she uh, that if she uh, uh, did not uh, uh, obey the word of God, if she did, if she fell into sin, then she, then she as a nation would soon perish from the earth. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 16. Jonah's gourd came up in the night and then perished in the sun. Same word, abad. It perished in the sun. Uh, that's in the book of Jonah, chapter 4, and verse 10. Esther, when she came before the king, she said uh, in reckless abandon, if I perish, I perish. Double use of the word abad. If I perish, I perish. Look with me at Psalm 49. Psalm 49. Look at verse 10. For he seeth 
that wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the stupid person perish and leave their wealth to others. It's definitely speaking of death there. Verse 20 of the same chapter. Uh, Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish, die like an animal, in other words. All right? So that's what we're talking about here. When the wicked perish, they, they, uh, the idea can be that they are set aside in some lesser degree, but primarily the word means to perish in the sense of death. Then when the wicked uh, are perish, notice if you have a King James Bible, uh, you will have the words there is um, that is in italics because there actually is no verb here. Uh, and uh, it adds a special emphasis to the, the uh, word that follows. When the wicked perish, shouting. When the wicked perish, shouting. When the righteous prosper, then there is rejoicing. When the wicked perish, shouting. Now the word shouting is the word R-I-N-N-A-H. Renah. It means actually a shout for joy. It means loud singing. <clears throat> can mean rejoicing. It can mean a ringing cry. Isaiah chapter uh, 14. Isaiah 14. And verse 7. It says the whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Same word. They break forth into singing. Actually, the word means to cry out. Primarily used to speak of crying out in rejoicing. On occasion, uh, it was used to speak of cries of uh, lamentation. But uh, mostly that of joy. In fact, you go to the Psalms, and let's just go over there for a minute. Let's buzz through some verses rather rapidly. Psalm 30 is where we'll begin. Psalm 30 and verse 5. For his anger endureth for a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Renah cometh in the morning. Look at Psalm 42 and verse 4. Psalm 42 and verse 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy, renah, and praise with a multitude that kept the holy day. Look, if you will, at Psalm 47 and verse 1. O clap their hands, all ye peoples. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Same word, renah, triumph in this particular case. Psalm 61 and verse 1. Psalm 61, verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Same word, renah, cry, attend unto my prayer. For from the end of the earth will I cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Go to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. 
verse 43. And he brought forth his people with joy, different word, and his chosen with gladness. Renah is translated gladness here. Psalm 106, verse 44. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. Now there's one of the cases where the word cry has to do with lamentation. It's rather rare compared to the other. Psalm 107 and verse 72. Psalm 107, we don't have a 72. Okay, well, skip that one. 118.15. 118.15 The voice of rejoicing Rejoicing is Renah The voice of rejoicing and salvation Is in the tabernacles of the righteous The right hand of the Lord Doeth valiantly Psalm 119 verse 169 Let my cry There's the word again Come before thee O Lord Give me understanding according to thy word Psalm 126 and verse 2. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the nations, the Lord hath done, uh, done uh, great things for them. The word singing there is the same word again, Renah. Psalm 126, verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Renah. Psalm 126, verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Again, Renah, bringing his sheaves with him. Um, in, uh, in, in the book of Isaiah, uh, eight different times in the book of Isaiah, we have this same word used and translated uh, singing. So it's the idea of, the, of, of rejoicing, of singing, of a cry of triumph. Uh, and uh, uh, the, uh, though it is possible for it to be mourning uh, in certain places, rare places, it's primarily a word of rejoicing. When you read the, the proverb, you have to conclude on the basis of the context here that it's speaking about a cry of joy. So now, the wicked, the, wicked per, the wicked perishing, the wicked dying, the wicked ruler dies, and instead of there being mourning for him, there is great rejoicing. One translation translates this, when the lawless perish, there is a shout of triumph. Another translation has it this way, in the destruction of the wicked is singing. Another has it this way, there are glad cries when the wicked are ruined. Here's another translation. When the wicked perish, there's jubilation. Now, if you go to Exodus chapter 15, and we won't take time to do that this morning, but you will find there what is called the Song of Moses. Moses composed a beautiful song to rejoice in the fact that Pharaoh had died. And uh, there was a, a, a cry of nearly three million people on the uh, a safe side of the uh, Red Sea. And God had triumphed over Pharaoh. And as a result, there was great rejoicing. 
go to the book of Judges. Book of Judges. If you look at chapter 4, you'll notice that in verse 12, Sisera has been defeated. <clears throat> Let me just uh, mention to you that the key to understanding the book of, uh, of Judges is the idea of uh, uh, cycles that came upon the people. The people um, turned from the Lord. The Lord allowed them to fall into their hands of the enemy. The people in the, under bondage to their enemy cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up a deliverer and brought them forth from their enemy. And the people lived that way for a time and then they got away from God and they fell into the hands of their enemy again and they cried to the Lord. And It goes on and on. The whole book is that way. And you can start in chapter 1 and read it right through. Uh, and it takes you right up to the, to the time of Samuel and, uh, and Eli and uh, that whole story and the bringing in of Saul as a leader. Uh, but uh, uh, the whole thing is one repeat after another. And you'll learn a great deal about uh, the hand of chastening upon a people by God and a lot about His mercy and grace in the book of Judges. Well, God has raised up uh, Deborah and Barak. Uh, they were the fourth and fifth judges uh, in the nation. And uh, the judges were not judges in the sense that we have uh, judges on the court bench today, but rather they were these deliverers that God raised up. Samson was another one. <coughs> Excuse me. Gideon was another one. God raised up the, these individuals uh, to help the people. Well, Deborah and Barak led the people to victory. And the defeat of Sisera uh, was uh, uh, just a turning point in the nation. And so in chapter 5, just like we have in Exodus 15, we have a song that was composed to rejoice in the fact that Sisera has died. Uh, the, uh, the way he died is rather interesting. Uh, it, it says uh, in verse 12 of chapter 4, or verse, excuse me, 21, uh, chapter 4, it says, Then Jael, Heber's wife, took the nail of the tent and took a an hammer in her hand, a gal coming in with a hammer and a nail, and went softly unto him and smote the nail into his temple. That hurts. And fastened it to the ground. A big nail. Nail went right through. Boom. And right to the ground. And For he was fast asleep and weary. Then it says this as an added climax. So he died. Yeah, well, that's what happens. All right. In verse 22, And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him, and said unto him, Come, and I will show thee the man whom thou seekest. And when she came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of, Can of Canaan, before the children of Israel. The hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of the Canaan. All, all right. Now, victory has come. Sisera, the obstacle, has been taken out of the way. Now, in chapter 5, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son 
of Abinamom on that day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the avenger of Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heavens dropped, and the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted before the Lord, even distant Sinai from before the Lord Lord of God. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were unoccupied, and the travelers walked through the byways, and on and on and on and on. It goes over the history of the people. It's it go uh, down a little bit further. In verse 24, Blessed above women shall Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, be. Blessed shall be she be above women in the tent. He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter in a lordly dish. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with a hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head when he had, he, she had pierced and stricken through his temples. At her feet he bowed and he fell and he lay down. At her feet he bowed and he fell where he had bowed. There he fell down dead. The mother of Sisera looked out through a window and cried through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Well, he got his mother standing there. Where, why is he so late? He's not coming home. Why tarry the wheels of his chariot? Her wise ladies answered her. Yea, she returned answer to herself. Have they not sped? Have they not divided the spoil to every man, a damsel or two, to Sisera, a spoil of dyed garments, a spoil of dyed garments of needlework, of dyed garments of needlework, on both sides suitable for the necks of those who take the spoil? So let all thine enemies perish, O Lord, and let them who love him be as the sun when it goeth forth with his might. And the land had rest for forty years. Here's a song composed by these two deliverers. The people of Israel standing together and rejoicing. Why? Because a man has died. That happens when wicked rulers and wicked leaders perish. Let me give you one other. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11. You go to verse 1. And it says, And when Athathaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal seed. Now here's a wicked queen. Remember the royal seed? God had made promise concerning the royal seed and the fact that there would be upon the throne of David a ruler forever. Through that line would come the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, he would be the rightful heir to the throne. If uh, Athaliah had been able to accomplish what she intended to do, it would have broken that pattern and would have destroyed God's word. God would have been found a liar. She actually had a nefarious scheme to get rid of all of the royal seed. Often in history where there has been a royal seed in nations, that has happened. And there has been a new dynasty raised up because the old dynasty had been, been murdered or assassinated. But 
Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were slain, a little baby. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her, hidden in the house of the Lord six years, and Athaliah did reign over the land. The six-year period where this child was beginning to grow and, uh, and then ultimately was elevated to the throne. You read about that in verses 4 and following. But then it says in verse 13, well, let's, let's back up just a little bit. Verse 12, He brought forth the king's son and put the crown on him, gave him the testimony, they made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, God saved the king. That was quite a shock to Athaliah. She thought all the royal seed was dead. It says, When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people and to the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar according to the custom, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. Again, the people rejoicing when the righteous are placed in the place of power and authority. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason! Treason! But Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains of the hundreds and the officers of the host, and said unto them, Have her forth beyond the ranks, and him who followeth her kill with the sword. For the priest had said, Let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. Don't kill her here. Take her outside and kill her. All right? And they laid hands on her, and she went by the way by which the horses came into the king's house, and there she was slain. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, between the king also and the people. Athaliah led them into idol worship and all kinds of wickedness. And all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and broke it down. His altars and his images broke they in pieces thoroughly and slew Matin the priest of Baal before the altars. And the priests anointed officers over the house of the Lord. And they took rulers of hundreds and captains of the guard. And all the people of the land, they brought down the king from the house of the Lord, came by the way of the gate of the guard to the king's house, and they sat on the throne of the kings. Now listen. And all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was in quiet. And they slew Athaliah with a sword beside the king's house. Now, just think of that. Tremendous, tremendous rejoicing. Why? Because of the death of someone. The death of the wicked. It's interesting to find in the first part of the verse that when the, when the righteous prosper, the people rejoice. Think of David. And then the second part of the verse... When the wicked perish, there's shouting. Think of Saul. First part of the verse, think of Mordecai. Second part of the verse, think of Haman. It follows. The pattern is there throughout history. Look at the book of Amos, chapter 4. Amos, chapter 4.
Amos 4, beginning of verse 1. Hear this word, ye cows of Bashan. That's a figurative speech there, speaking of the rich women of Bashan. They're called cows. That's not very complimentary, but it's biblical, all right? Hear, <laughs> hear this word, ye cows of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their masters, Bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that, lo, the days shall come upon you, that he will take, take you away with hooks, and your, pro, your posterity with fish hooks. And ye shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. There is an ultimate judgment that comes to those that are wicked, and in particular, those that in their wickedness oppress others. Why do the people rejoice? Because wicked men put the people under a curse rather than a blessing. That's why the people rejoice. They realize, even though they may not always follow the righteous standard, there is something inherently in the heart of man that realizes that when the wicked people have their heyday, it ultimately brings the city to ruin, brings the state to ruin, brings the nation to ruin. And therefore, even those that, that like some of the things, they like some of the wickedness, they don't like the consequences of the wickedness. We studied in Proverbs 10 and verse 6, Blessing are on the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. People talk so much about violence today, how terribly violent our society uh, has become. I'll tell you, a great deal of that comes simply because of wicked men prospering in our day. Wicked people cause scandal and vexation and oppressions. You go right through Scripture and you see that. I, I think maybe it would be good for us to uh, go to Proverbs chapter 4. Now just follow me. And just see what God's viewpoint is in this whole matter of the, the pattern of the wicked. All right? Chapter 4, verse 16. For, for they sleep not except they have done mischief. Now this is, being, this is talking about the wicked. They sleep not except they have done mischief. And their sleep is taken away unless they cause someone to fall. They stay awake nights trying to figure out how they can bring people down. Verse 17, they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10 and verse 11. The mouth of the righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Verse 16, The labor of the righteous tendeth to life, the fruit of the wicked to sin. Verse 20, The tongue of the just is like choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Go to chapter 12, verse 5, The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. The words of the wicked are to lie wait in blood, but the mouth of the upright shall deliver him. Verse 10, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. 
That's a, that's a verse that's always struck me. Here you, a, a man who, a man who regards the life of his a righteous man cares for animals, actually. But you have a, a wicked man and his most tender moment is cruelty. The moment when he is, when he is the most tender-hearted, the best he can muster, still comes out cruelty. Look at verse 26. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor, but the way of the wicked seduceth them. Seduceth, seduceth the neighbor. Chapter 13, verse 5. A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Chapter 14, verse 17. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. There's hatred uh, for that man. He, bring, he breeds it. Chapter 15, verse 6. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. They may prosper, but with it comes trouble. Chapter 17, verse 23. A wicked man taketh a bribe out of the bosom to pervert the ways of justice. A wicked man. Chapter 18, verse 3. When the wicked cometh, then cometh also contempt, and with ignominy, reproach. Look at chapter 24, verse 24. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. You got a man that's wicked, and he's got a campaign manager that says he's righteous. The people ultimately are going to curse the campaign manager. All right? Chapter 28 and verse 12. When righteous men do rejoice, there's great glory. But when the wicked rise, a man is hidden. Or literally, men go into hiding. Man rises to power that is righteous. The people are rejoicing. But And there's great glory. But... When the wicked man rise to power, men go into hiding. Good men do at least. Verse 15, as a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over poor people. 28, 28. When the wicked rise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. Proverbs 29, verse 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. Verse 7. The righteous considereth the cause of the poor, but the wicked regardeth not to know it. Verse 16. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increaseth, but the righteous shall see their fall. Now you look at history. Rome rejoiced at the death of Nero. Great rejoicing. Germany rejoiced in the death of Hitler. So, all through history, this indeed has held true. And there are periods of time, don't be fooled by the periods of time, where a wicked man rises to power, and uh, the, 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 the wicked uh, uh, humanistic concepts are put forth, and the people say, this is good, this is great, this is wonderful. Just give them time. Ultimately, when that wicked man perishes, there'll be rejoicing. And if a righteous man moves in to take his place, the people are going to be ultimately pleased. They may not be happy at first, 
But ultimately they will be pleased because righteousness reigns. Well, that's all we'll have time for this morning. We uh, don't want to get into verse 11. Verse 11 follows again now the same basic idea. We'll develop that next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the the privilege of learning these things. Uh, what a what a privilege it is for us to 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 be able to see how consistent your word is. Uh, there's no contradiction in that which is being said. And so repeatedly we we look at this book and we rejoice that you've been so honest with us that you've leveled with us as we see these things work out in actual fact in the daily lives uh, our daily lives day by day Father we we recognize again that you are telling us the truth we'll only listen to what you say about every detail of life we'll save ourselves a great deal of problem Lord keep us always keep us from an attitude that that we can we can get on the bandwagon with wicked men and uh, that ultimately they will be victorious we know that ultimately they will fall help us to take our stand on the side of righteous men and doing the thing that is right the thing that is right not according to man's standard but according to your word give us a good day at work help us to be righteous men so wherever we work, whatever we do, people will rejoice when we prosper. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.